As a young boy, he was always encouraged to do your best, work hard, and you will be successful. And this idea, this mentality fueled how he viewed everything. As a child, he would think, I'll be successful. I can achieve anything I put my mind to. So he worked hard to make the team. Hours and hours of practice, drills, camps, training, all his dedication earned him a spot on the team and then the next team and then the next team. As a teenager, he wanted to be successful in life, so yeah, he, he worked hard uh, in school to get good grades so he could get into the right schools. All his peers regarded him as the most ambitious student. For him, the education profession seemed to be a good career path, especially if he could eventually be an administrator. One degree turned into another degree, years upon years, one loan after another. But for him, it was worth it because he was going to be successful. Well, after education, an opportunity came along. A school offered him his first job as a new teacher. It wasn't convenient. It would require him to relocate away from his family and community, but the opportunity seemed too good to pass by. Ultimately, he needed this opportunity to start his new career. The new job was, was challenging, but he would overcome. After all, he knew how to work hard. He had the drive and the ambition to succeed. After a few years of success, another opportunity came along. This wasn't just a starter opportunity. This was the next step towards his goal. It was a position at the collegiate level in another state. But by this time, it wasn't just him anymore. Now it was a wife and child as well. But the family decided to move because this was the opportunity he needed, and they figured it was worth the move. Everyone in the extended family knew he was the most successful of anyone in the family, but they really never saw him or the new grandchildren very often. Every couple years, they would fly back home for a quick trip at Thanksgiving, but other than that, they really lost touch. After a few years, the pattern would repeat itself as other two opportunities arose, and he eventually would work his way up to be president of a small university. This career move brought a level of demand and um, a level of demand greater than anything he had ever experienced. It required longer hours. It required a lot of mental and physical strain, but also a lot of relational strain in marriage. There wasn't much time together as a husband and wife, and when they were together, it didn't seem like he was actually very present. The same was true with his children. They didn't get much quality time together, but they were at least in the best school in town. After a couple years, he finally got to build his dream house on the water, complete with a dock and boat slip to keep their new boat. After a few months of construction, they finally moved in and spent a few weeks getting the house in order. He wasn't available much to help, but he had the salary to hire movers, the interior decorators, and the best landscaper in town. One evening, close to dusk, after they were all moved in, he grabbed the chair and walked out to the dock. A few boats passed by as he sat quietly and looked over the marsh. Sitting there, he realized this is the moment he'd been working for his entire life. He finally made it. He had spent over half his life to get to this point. But as he looked across the water, he waited for that feeling, that feeling he believed would come once he made it. Do your best, work hard, and you will be successful. But as he sat there, after achieving everything he thought he was supposed to achieve, the feeling never came. The house was nice, the new custom dock was cool, but as he sat there, he couldn't help but wonder, is this what it's all about? That's a parable, a fictional parable that I wrote. I want to ask you this question today, what is life all about? 
What are you trying to accomplish? What are you trying to find? What are you trying to prove? And who are you trying to please? Your dad, your mom, your college friends, your colleagues. I'd hate for you to sit on the end of a dock one day and realize you missed it. This parable is a story that's indicative of our current culture of ambition. We live in a culture that's extremely ambitious. Workaholism is the norm in our culture, achievement and accomplishment, chronic stress, a culture of hurry and striving. The hope for today and the hope for our series, Life in Order, is to be able to get our life in order, to look at the life of Jesus, specifically his practices, his patterns and his priorities, and learn how to get our life in order like he had his life in order. And my fear is that the life of the Christian looks more similar to culture than it does to Christ, and my hope is to set you free from that. And so today, our theme is this, abiding over ambition. Abiding over ambition. Throughout the series, we're looking at several different themes, one value over the other. And the other, the second value, the end, ambition, there isn't anything inherently wrong with ambition, but when we look at Jesus, we see order, which is abiding over ambition. And so here's my hope for the sermon, and I'll give it to you in one sentence in a nutshell. This is my hope. If you have to leave early, this is it. True success in life comes not from our ambition, but from our abiding in Christ. True success in life comes not from our ambition, but from our abiding in Christ. Today we find ourselves in John 15, beginning in verse 4. Jesus is with his disciples. He shares within this teaching one of many hundreds of teachings that he would have shared with them to help them understand the kingdom of God and the way in which we operate in the kingdom of God. And this is what he says in John 15, beginning in verse 4. He says, Abide in me, abide in me, and I in you. It's a mutual abiding. It's a relationship. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. The Apostle John would write these words after listening to this teaching of Jesus. The Apostle John would have remembered being on the road during this teaching or perhaps at a meal during this teaching. He would have looked across the table at Jesus, at Jesus' face and Jesus' eyes. And as Jesus' eyes connected with his eyes, he would remember the very words of Jesus speaking into his life. I am the vine and you are the branches. Unless you abide in me, you cannot bear much fruit. Unless you abide in me, neither can you unless you abide in me. Jesus was a brilliant master of metaphors. This imagery that he gives us, this picture that he paints is the imagery of a vine and branches and fruit. Specifically, this would have been grapes. Vineyards would have been very common in the first century in Jesus' day in his area. Jesus speaks of wine and vineyards quite often. We see the story of the wedding feast. We see various parables of the vineyards. We see the parable of the wineskins. We see the parable of sons working in the vineyard, a master who planted a vineyard and hired servants. We even see parables about paying the vineyard laborers. We even see a fig tree in a parable of the vineyard. 
Vineyards were all over the place. It would have been very common for them to be walking along the roadside and to see rows and rows of the vines as they would have passed by. Remind me, just a few weeks ago, my wife and I, we got to travel, do a little bit of a mini vacation in concert with a little conference that we were at to San Francisco, to the Bay Area. One of the things that we got to do is escape from the city for just uh, an afternoon and go into Napa Valley. Unbelievable, the kind of uh, landscape that is there. Literally miles and miles and miles and miles of vineyards. As far as the eye can see, vines upon vines upon vines in which the grapes grow that produce the wine. And Jesus brings in this beautiful metaphor to help us understand how life works. It's kind of like a vine. And he says, abide in me. The Greek word here for abide, it's actually a little bit tricky for the English translators to translate it because we don't have a great word to demonstrate what this Greek word means. It's the Greek word meno. Somebody tell your neighbor meno. Not like the little fish that swims in the water, a different kind of meno, meno or menoia. Um, this word to, um, that means abide. Um, originally, it could be translated to remain, to remain in the same place over a long period of time. You could even translate it to stay. To stay, to remain, or to abide in me. I love the way that Eugene Peterson, in his paraphrase the message, says it. He says this, John 15, 4. Live in me. Make your home in me, just as I do in you. In the same way that a branch cannot bear grapes by itself, but only by being joined to the vine, you can't bear fruit unless you are joined with me. I want to tell you today that this is the heart and the goal and the hope and the purpose of Christianity all together, this is it. This is it, to abide in Christ. At the core of Christianity is a covenant relationship with God, a beautiful covenant relationship with God, which means your greatest need in life is not moral fortitude or to be a good person or to be a better person or to make your life a little bit better. What you need is God. You need God. You were made for him. You were made for relationship with him. That's all of what the Bible is. That's all of what scripture is, is God wants you, and you need him. You need to know him. You need to love him. You need to walk in relationship with him. Without him in your life, without walking in him and living in him and abiding in him, your life won't matter. It won't make sense. It won't work unless you are abiding in him. It's about relationship with the Father. He wants to make his home in you, and he wants you to make your home in him. It's an unbelievably beautiful metaphor. See, this is really the problem with religion. The problem with religion is that it actually bypasses a relationship with God. It tells you what to do or what not to do in order to appease your God or to make God happy with you, but it actually doesn't get to the heart. This is what the problem with religion is. It doesn't get to the heart. Most Religious people just want to do enough to appease God. What do I need to do to get in? What is the bare minimum for me to be approved? The difference between the gospel, which is the good news of Jesus Christ and what he has done for us, the difference between the gospel and religion is that um, religion never really gets to the heart. God never really gets inside. He's some being out there that you hope to appease. But the gospel is completely different. It brings God into your heart. It brings him inside. It brings him inside all the way in where you are the most vulnerable. 
all the way in where you were the most susceptible, but that's where the power is. See, in religion, you, you never really get the power because it, it's all duty and outward obligation. But with the gospel, God affects the heart and changes the heart, and you have to reconcile the deepest and more personal parts of your life with God and lie bare before him, and that's where true power happens. Then you become transformed from the inside out. Religion always tries to transform you from the outside in, but it never works. That's why some of the meanest people in the world are religious people. That's why some of the most hypocritical people in the world are religious people. That's why church fathers can abuse little children. That's why pastors and evangelists 150 years ago could justify slavery. Because it was religion, it wasn't the gospel. And Jesus says, all of this thing that we are trying to do, everything that I'm trying to communicate to you, for you to understand, it's about a relationship with me and living in me. And you aren't a Christian unless you're connected to the vine. You aren't a Christian unless you're connected to the vine, unless you're connected to Jesus, unless you're in him and he is in you. That's what it's all about. Then he goes on in verse 5. He says this. I am the vine. Just for clarity's sake, I am the vine. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me, dwells in me, lives in me, is connected to me, and I in him, if I abide in you, he it is that bears much fruit. Somebody say much. Much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. I love this. Um, I'm going to go a little bit historical, Old Testament, theological on you for just a minute, okay? Y'all okay with that? Um, I love what Jesus does here. In verse 1, he says, I am the true vine. And then he says here in verse 5 again, I am the vine. Now, we don't immediately understand the, um, this would have been a little bit of like a punch in the face if you're a first century Jew, if you're a first century Hebrew person. If Jesus is going to use the metaphor, the language of a vine for himself, this would have been a little bit like a slap in the face. Uh, Here's why. In the Old Testament, the vine is a common symbol for Israel, for the covenant people of God. Psalm 80, Isaiah 5, Isaiah 27, Jeremiah 2, Ezekiel 15, Ezekiel 17, 19, Hosea 10. Multiple places throughout the Old Testament, the, the people of Israel, the covenant people of God, are used are referred to, rather, as a vine. But that vine was ever-failing and produced insufficient fruit. But now, in contrast to such failure, Jesus claims, I am the true vine. I am the true vine. Jesus is the one to whom Israel pointed to all along. And Jesus is the one that brings forth good fruit, which means... Jesus not only supersedes the temple and Jewish feast and Moses and various holy sites, he also supersedes Israel as the very center of the people of God. This is huge. This is huge. It's, it's very theological, but it's very important. Jesus is the center. It's about him. Jesus shows up onto the scene and boldly declares, I am the vine. The way that the people of God were used to being connected to all the specific ways and rituals and regulations and the law and everything which weren't bad but the way that they were used to operating and understanding Jesus says I am the vine now and what mo- what matters most is whether or not you're connected to me whether or not you're living in me it doesn't matter what else you're connected you can be connected to anything else connected to church connected to history connected to tradition connected to whatever but unless you're connected to me you're not going to have the kind of fruit that you need in your life And then I love what he says about this. He says, you will bear much fruit. I like that. Some of you are thinking through this series that, man, 
Pastor Ethan doesn't want us to do anything. <laughs> when he's talking about life, he's telling us to stop. He's telling us to say no. He's telling us to get rid of this and to get rid of this. Does he just want me to sit on my beanbag chair and eat Doritos and watch Netflix all day long? No, that's not what I'm trying to tell you to do. But I'm trying to get you to reorient your life. What I love about Jesus is he says, if you abide in him, you'll bear much fruit. Anybody want to bear much fruit in your life, by the way? Anybody want to have a life that is filled with fruit? A life that is overflowing with fruit? This is one of my passions as a, as a pastor. I just want to be so connected to God and walking in Christ that I overflow with fruit without even trying. That it just overflows and that it comes out of the relationship that I have with him. And Jesus says, you'll bear much fruit, which means Jesus is concerned with fruitfulness. He's very concerned with fruitfulness, um, but we need to ask what kind of fruit. What we're talking about here is not a fruit that is um, man-made, man-made fruitfulness, but a God-made fruitfulness. Some of y'all are pretty good at producing fruit. You got the degree. You got the job. You got the house. You get a pat on the back. Look at you. You got the salary. You got the accolades. Is that man-made fruit or God-made fruit? There's anything wrong with success and achievement and accomplishments. But there's a difference between man-made fruit and God-made fruit. God-made fruitfulness is a level of fruitfulness that cannot be manufactured or drummed up by a GPA or a flashy website or a good social media filter. The only kind of real meaningful fruit is that which is produced by God. So can I ask you a personal question today? What kind of fruit is your life producing? What kind of fruit is your life producing? I'll say it this way. The absence of fruit is always the result of an absence of abiding. Some of you are um, currently depressed about the spiritual fruit or the lack of spiritual fruit in your life. Need to show up to church more. They keep telling me to serve. Maybe I need to serve. Maybe that'll be the difference maker. Maybe I need to find my Bible, read my Bible. All those things are good. All those things are fine and dandy. But the absence of fruit in your life is always the result of an absence of abiding. Show me someone with little spiritual fruit in their life, and I'll show you someone who isn't walking with Jesus. The inverse is true as well. Show me someone who is producing much spiritual fruit in their life, and I'll show you someone who is walking with Jesus. This reminds me of my granny. Anybody got a granny? I got a granny. She is a Pentecostal holiness granny. She lives in South Carolina. She lives uh, down Vox Highway in Johnsonville. She actually doesn't even live in Johnsonville. She lives in Vox. Vox is like nowheresville. Lives out in the middle of nowhere. Uh, my granny is this Holy Spirit-filled Pentecostal woman of God. I believe is she upwards of about 87 now? 87. She's got more fire than anybody in the room. She's got more, any, more energy than anybody in the room if you've ever met her. I love my, I love my uh, granny. She, um, obviously at this age in her life, I mean, at this point she, where she's lived, she, she didn't, doesn't have any degrees. 
didn't go to seminary. Didn't have a big church. Isn't on YouTube listening to the best sermons from this past week. But she's a woman that is unbelievably full of spiritual fruit in her life. Why? It's because she is unbelievably connected to Jesus. She loves Jesus. She walks with him. She, she's in the word. She's, she, she's participating in church. She's worshiping her socks off. I believe even just about a year or so ago, she was still playing the piano at church. <laughs> and she can play the piano. When she gets behind the piano, you better hold on, buddy. You better hold on. You don't know where she's going to take you. She's going to feel it. She's going to flow. She's going to go for it. It's just an overflow of her heart. We'll, we'll be hanging out as a family, having a family reunion or a get-together out in Johnsonville in the middle of nowhere. Um, somebody will call. Um, she's still got a phone with a cable attached to it. Somebody will call. Let me get the phone. She gets the phone, talks to it. it it's, it's Cousin Judy that's on the other line, and something just happened to a friend. Somebody just happened to a, a family member. Something just happened to a church member. She puts the phone back on the hook, and she says, everybody get in here. Cousin, something just happened down there. Cousin Judy, we're going to get in here, and we're going to put this before the Lord. You just, what's going on? Everybody, you rush into the room. You start holding hands, and they start throwing down for Jesus in that moment. She doesn't care what's going on. She doesn't care what anybody thinks. She's just going to go for it. She doesn't know to do anything else. It's just the overflow of her life. It's the overflow of the spiritual fruit in her life. And you cannot get that at seminary. You can't get that at church. The only place you get that is from walking with Jesus and abiding in him and living in him. And when Jesus lives in you, it can't help but come out of you. Spiritual fruit. Unbelievable amount of spiritual fruit that comes from living and walking and abiding in Jesus. So show me someone with a little spiritual fruit in their life, and I'll show you someone that isn't walking with Jesus. But show me someone who is producing much spiritual fruit in their life, and I'll show you someone who is walking with Jesus. Amen? Amen? By the way... Um, don't let anyone tell you that you can't produce fruit. Don't let anybody tell you that you can't produce fruit. Don't let anyone tell you that you don't have what it takes. Anybody ever felt inferior spiritually? Ever, anybody ever told you don't have what it takes? You're not good enough? You don't have what you need? I remember specifically of a personal story. I don't know if I've ever told you this story before. I remember being in seminary, um, working towards a degree after being called to be a pastor, and I remember um, actually failing a course, church history class. Have I ever told you this before? I remember failing church history class. Um, I, uh, depressing moment in my life. Um, I, remember, um, I remember studying, I remember working hard, it wasn't because of a lack of effort. Um, I remember I, I didn't pass the last few exams that were required. It was a lot of writing. It was a lot of uh, subjective things. Me and my professor didn't hit it off quite right. Um, might have been part of the issue. Um, but I remember, um, I remember failing that class and wondering, how in the world am I ever going to be a pastor if I can't even pass a church history class? How? My mind doesn't really work, very, doesn't really remember factual kind of things and dates and names and 
in times. I've got the memory of a gnat. After about three seconds, it's kind of gone. I remember more narrative-type things and story and language and drama. That's how my mind works and operates. And so I failed this class, and I remember being defeated. I remember being defeated and wondering, maybe I don't have what it takes to be a pastor. I remember at this particular time, there wasn't a whole lot of encouragement from others around me. I remember even some students that would sneer at me because of my failure to pass the class and wondered if I had what it takes. Well, I took the class again. Changed professors, of course. (laughs) Took the class again, studied hard, tried hard, prayed even harder, and you better believe I passed that class. I passed that class, I passed that exam Um, And today I stand up here, not as someone who is unbelievably successful, but someone that at least stuck with it and walked with it and let God produce fruit in my life to be able to get to the point where I am in my life. Not because of my own achievements, but because of God's fruit in my life, because of walking with him. Don't let anybody ever tell you that um, you don't have the right degree. Don't let anybody ever tell you that you don't have the right marriage that you don't have the right job, that you don't have the right skill set, that you don't have the right experiences, that you don't have the right skin color. If you have Jesus, you have everything necessary for him to produce all the fruit in your life that you need. If you are in Christ, it doesn't matter how many degrees you have. It doesn't matter how many experiences you have. If you have Jesus, you have everything necessary to have all the spiritual fruit necessary to do what he has called you to do. Don't let anybody ever tell you otherwise. Walk in him. Everything that you need is in him. And he'll provide what you need. And Jesus says, abide in me, dwell in me, live in me, walk in me, be connected in me. And if you abide in Christ, he'll produce everything necessary in you. He goes on and he says this in verse 6. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. That sounds amazing. Verse 8, by this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my uh, disciples. In in our backyard at our house, we have um, several different plants that we um, have planted in our backyard and several different ones in pots that we forget to water. And then along the fence line, we've planted star jasmine that grow up the side of the fence and grow long in every sorts of different direction. And I go out to um, the jasmine, and it's a long vine, and um, every few days I'll go and I'll redirect some of the vines, some of the branches, and so that they go in the path and the direction and the shape that I want them to. Yesterday I was out um, outside my fence, and I, I noticed that there was a, a vine that was brown. The rest of the vine was green, but this particular branch was was brown, and so obviously there's something, an issue there, and I walked up to uh, the branch there, and then something had um, severed it from the actual vine, and it was still there, it was still hanging on, it was still, um, it seemed to be connected at first, but whenever I got closer, I noticed that there was a separation, something had severed it, and it severed it from the life of the vine, and therefore at this point where it was severed, the rest of the branch was dead, and so what did I do? pinched it off, and threw it onto the ground because it was no longer producing fruit. And Jesus says, the way that you produce fruit is you are connected to him. I wonder if we have a lot of Christians that look like a branch but are actually a different color, don't have life in them, 
that seem to be connected but don't actually have the life flowing through them. And Jesus says, the way that you live, the way that you are, is you abide it. You, can, you stay connected to me. You operate in me and the nutrients that you need, everything that you need will flow through the vine up from the ground into the edge of the branches to the very tips that will produce the fruit that is necessary in your life. And then he says this, which is amazing. Ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. How many of you that is indicative of your prayer life? Ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Here's what that means. That doesn't mean like you can ask Jesus for a Hummer and it'll be done for you. What it, what it means is that when you are so connected with Christ, when you are so abiding in him, you're so, so connected with him that your very desires and the things that you would ask are already the things that he wants to do. And therefore, when you ask, he, of course, is going to do that because that's what he wants to do in the first place. And you walk with him and you're so connected with him and you understand the heart of God and the mind of God so that when you ask and when you speak, you're actually not speaking the things that are, that are necessarily selfish and personal but are actually Godward and selfless and you're speaking into being the things of God, asking and God's doing. It's the kind of prayer life that I want. And by this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. So let's do this. Let's actually, let's take stock of the fruit that is in our life. We're talking in metaphors here. We're talking about a vine. We're talking about branches. We're talking about fruit, this ethereal fruit. Let's talk specifically about fruit. What is the fruit? What exactly is the fruit that he's talking about here? What is the kind of fruit? One of the best ways to interpret scripture is to use scripture to interpret scripture. Paul actually does this for us in Galatians chapter 5. Galatians 5, verse 19, he says this. He's going to demonstrate the works of the fruit of the flesh uh, in contrast to the works and the fruit of the spirit. He says this. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality. Sexual desire. It's gone awry. That isn't Godward. That isn't what God's established. Sexual perversion, it's a perversion of the, the truth of what God wants. It's a, it's a work, it's fruit of the flesh. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, being at odds against other people, strife, fighting, jealousy, not being content with what you have but being jealous of others, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, Envy, drunkenness, being consumed and controlled by substances, orgies, and things like these. Like he gives a laundry list, and he's like, and anything else like this? Anything else that, would, that I might have missed, that some nut job is going to find out that I didn't put in the Bible, anything else that would fall into this category, that too. All of those things, these are products of the flesh these things aren't coming from the spirit these things aren't bubbling up from walking with God and knowing God and walking with Jesus these are things that are actually coming up from your flesh the old you the old you the previous you the former you the former self you're operating from the flesh not operating from the spirit and he says this I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God if that's the kind of fruit your life is producing you don't have the kingdom of God in you if that's the steady, regular pattern and flow of your life, you don't have the kingdom of God in you. Just continually jealous, continually anxious, 
continually divisive, continually prejudiced, continually dominated by sexual sin, you might need to ask whether or not the kingdom of God is actually in you. Those things aren't products and fruits of the Holy Spirit that was in you. That's products of the flesh. But then he says this, but the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And against such things there is no law. When you're walking in the Spirit, walking in the Spirit does not equal perfection. Walking in the Spirit, which means walking in the Spirit of God, the Spirit of God that is in you. And when you're connected to God and in tune with God, walking, as he would say earlier in Galatians 5, in step, in accordance with the Holy Spirit, and you're walking in step with God, these are the things that are produced out of your life. Love, joy, peace, patience. Goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Can we just stop for a moment today and take stock of the fruit that is in our lives? What's in your life today? I know that some of you are going to hear this um, as kind of condemnation today. Um, I have a tendency to yell when I'm preaching. Sorry about that. Um, the goal and the hope isn't condemnation today. The goal, whenever you hear the word of God, is, is never condemnation, but is always invitation. It's always invitation. Where are you at today? Where's your life? God brought you here today for a purpose and God brought you here for a moment, for this moment. Where are you at today? What is, what's the fruit that's being produced in your life? Is there hidden sin in your life? Are you harboring sin? Do you have indwelling sin in your life? Something that you know is not right, that is not congruent with God, with what God would have for you. And you're entertaining that, living in that, practicing that. It's producing, the flesh, is produ the flesh has got a hold on you. The flesh is dominating you. It's producing things in your life that are not congruent with the spirit of God and the kingdom of God. Or is there, is there good, healthy fruit that's in your life? Is there love that's, that's flowing up from you? Is there, is there joy? Is there peace? Is there goodness? Is there self-control? Is there, is there patience that's flowing up from your life? Is there? Ambition can never produce that kind of fruit in your life. That kind of fruit can only be produced by abiding in Christ, making your home in him, living in him, dwelling in him. And then Jesus says this in verse 9. He goes on and he says, As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments, and abide in his love. I love this. Jesus says, you want a picture of this? You want to get a little bit of an image of what this looks like? You're struggling. You're having a hard time. Maybe you're not abiding in Christ. Let me give you a little bit of an idea of what this looks like. This is what it looks like. It looks like my relationship with the Father. Father God. We believe in a Trinitarian God. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. One being. Three persons. One God. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Unbelievably mystical relationship that is in operation between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And they operate and they live in relationship, healthy relationship together. And Jesus gives us a tangible, practical example of what abiding looks like. And he describes it and he says, it looks like my relationship with the Father. The Son and the Father, they stay in relationship together. The Son and the Father, they 
remain in relationship together. The Son and the Father abide in relationship together. And it says specifically that they abide in one another's love, which means there has never been a moment from history, I'm sorry, from eternity past where the Father and the Son have not been operating and abiding in one another's love. Isn't that beautiful? The relationship, they've been operating from a place of love, operating in love. I love what D.A. Carson says in his commentary on John. He says this, Though God's love for us is gracious and undeserved, continued enjoyment of that love depends, at least in part, on our response to it. Here's, this, is, this is actually quite profound. What Jesus is trying to break down for us and get us to understand is this, this. Though his love for us is unconditional, you can't do anything to earn it. Though his love is unconditional, your abiding in his love is conditional. His love never changes. His love never fades. His love doesn't go up, go down, become greater, become lesser because of what you do or anything you do. His love remains the same. The same. It's constant. The determining factor is whether or not we are abiding in his love. His love is unconditional, but our abiding in his love is a conditional. You ever loved somebody, but they decided not to abide in your love? You ever loved somebody, were in love some, with somebody, but then they decided to walk away? You ever been in love with somebody, but they chose not to stay and operate and abide in that love? I'm sh- I would imagine we all have. The separation and the disconnection that happens between you and that person because of a love didn't change. Your love was still there, but they didn't operate and abide in it. My wife and I, just a few days ago, we were watching um, the Hallmark Channel, my favorite channel. Just every, every evening, and when I get home, I just long to have the Hallmark <laughs> Channel on when we get there just such glorious truths that come from the Hallmark channel and we're watching this particular movie there was this young couple who were uh, they were in love they were madly in love as a younger couple but then inevitably they got uh, unfortunately separated separated he went one way and she went another way and they would become separated for I believe it was like the next 20 years for the next 20 years and she would feel the separation because um, he stopped loving her they happened to show up to the same wedding What an amazing plot. (laughs) Would you know it? He's in the wedding party and she's the wedding planner. It was amazing. It was brilliant. She comes to realize through a few days after interacting with one another that he actually never stopped loving her. His love had actually never changed even though she thought it had. But for whatever reason, she didn't stay in his love. And you ask, what happened? They fell madly in love again and kissed at the end of the movie, and it was a beautiful reconciliation. (laughs) I want you to know today that God's love for you has never changed. It wasn't different yesterday than it was today. It won't be different tomorrow than it is today. God's love for you will never change. One of the most significant factors in your spiritual life will be whether or not you choose to abide in his love live in his love, dwell in his love, walk in his love. If you're ambitious today, I want to ask you why. Why? 
What are you searching for? What are you looking for? What do you think you need that you don't have? In Christ, in the Father's love, you have everything that you need for all of life. And nothing else can surpass the great love that God has for us. The prodigal son would run away. He would run away and he would squander his inheritance that the father had given him prematurely. He would live frivolously in luxury and waste away all of what the father had given him. And when he hit rock bottom, he decided that he would come back. And when he came to his senses and he turned and he began to come back to the father on his way, he would begin to write his speech to try to convince his father to love him when he came back. He would rehearse the speech over and over in his head, trying to articulate the words for his father to love him. And as the son turned the corner and finally saw home in the distance, the father saw the son walking down the path and the father left his home and ran to the son. I'm sure the son was shocked. I'm sure the son was ready to give his speech, but before the son could even utter words out of his mouth, the father embraced him in his arms and received him. The father never stopped loving him. The father's love had never changed for him. He thought that it had. He just needed to live and abide and remain in his father's love. My hope for you today, my heart for you today is that let's not be confused by ambition. Let's not let an employer tell you what you need in order for your life to be good. Let's not let a TV commercial tell you what you need in order to be happy. In Jesus, you have everything that you need today for everlasting joy. Amen.